Welcome to The Empathic Advantage, a podcast dedicated to empowering purposeful entrepreneurs and leaders who are compelled to do things differently. I'm your host, Hanna Marikiris, and in this podcast, I'm asking, how can the empathic, purposeful, and sensitive people build businesses that not only set their souls on fire and bring them the financial freedom they've always dreamed of, but also make the world a better place in the process? We'll discuss strategies to start, grow, and scale an aligned business. We'll talk money, mindset, mental health, and how to remain centered and grounded, and most importantly, yourself, throughout your entrepreneurial journey. So if you're ready to explore the possibility that your sensitive nature is truly nothing you need to fix, and that you can have the business and life you want, not despite your empathic nature, but because of it, well, then you're home, my friend. I truly believe that now more than ever, the world needs our business landscape to be shaped by more empathic values. So join me and my guests to get inspired on how you can put your empathic advantage to work for you. So let's jump right in, shall we? Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Empathic Advantage. Oh my God, are you ready to talk about financial abundance? Well, I truly hope that you are, because on today's episode, I am speaking with Pam Pryor. Pam is somebody that I now am lucky enough to call my friend, and she's a CFO with over 30 years of experience shaping the financial landscapes of both innovative startups as well as Fortune 50 companies. Yeah, that is 50. I know, I'm totally fangirling over here. So when I was researching her prior to our first meeting together, I felt like, you know, if she and I don't hit it off, I am going to eat my hat, honestly, because the level of compassion and understanding and meeting people where they are that Pam brings to her work makes it feel like you're speaking to a longtime friend, not a financial advisor. You know, she's really like the fairy godmother of finances, I find, and my hat can live another day. She's also best-selling author and a speaker, and she's on a mission to redefine finance for entrepreneurs and actually make finances fun. Honestly, if there's anyone that I think can make finances fun, it is definitely Pam. She's also pledged to give all of the proceeds of her second book launch to the Asher House, a sanctuary for rescue animals. So I think it goes without saying that she is a gem of a human being. So if you're ready to hear us discuss money mindset, how to bust through money stories that don't serve you, and if you're a business owner, set your company up for financial wealth, then I'll shut up now so we can finally begin. Hi, Pam. I am so thrilled that you are joining me on the Empathic Advantage at last. It is mutual. We've had such great conversations. I love bringing some of this to your audience because I don't, I've learned a lot from it. Yes, 100%. So I just want to kick off with, because like you have so many hats, you're a speaker, an author, a CFO, a virtual CFO, you've worked with so many companies, just kick us off with a little bit of your background so that everybody understands. Sure. I love it. Well, I won't dip all the way back to childhood. I'll just start with the careers. So for uh, very specific reasons, I loved accounting and went into it in college and worked for then 20, actually 30 years in corporate America, um, starting with DuPont at a, you know, very fortune 50 company, kind of at the bottom of the accounting ladder, worked my way up that ladder um, for a subsidiary of DuPont and Merck at the time. And we sold that subsidiary. Um, and I went out into the world to be a controller and CFO for a little bit smaller companies instead of fortune 50 these were what we call mid-market, so $400, 500000000 million companies. 
and loved every bit of it. Every bit of my career from the mailroom job all the way up to CFO, I, I absolutely loved. And about seven years ago, I realized, you know, I I was done with it. It was kind of an accident. Um, the last two companies I worked for, we had done the work and then sold them um, for the owners. So I was looking, you know, for a job again as a CFO. It didn't occur to me to do anything else. And was working with entrepreneurs kind of in the interim and realized how much I enjoyed that and how much there really wasn't good financial help for entrepreneurs. There were, you could either get a corporate CFO who kind of tried to make you a Fortune 50 company, which makes no sense, or you get somebody who really was a quick and uh, QuickBooks bookkeeper calling themselves a CFO. So I saw a real opportunity in the market to really bring some real meaningful financial work to connect entrepreneurs to their financials. And then, of course, since I've been in this world, about seven years now, working with so many entrepreneurs, have realized a big chunk of the issue is mindset. And I don't care whether the client or the person I'm talking to is just starting out and is barely making, you know, $1,000 a month or is an eight or nine figure, um, you know, successful entrepreneur. Every single one of them has a sense that they're the worst in the world with money and that their stories are the most embarrassing and uh, has limiting beliefs. And once I connected those dots, I was able to add so much more value, both to myself, just from that learning, but also in helping clients. Once I realized, hey, it's the technical stuff's easy. We can get that in place for you and teach you what you need to know. The part that really needs the work is that mindset. And it is so funny that you say that because I think that you're probably the first CFO that I've ever heard talk about mindset in that way. I'm taking your 31 day money challenge, by the way, that that is also oh, cool. reading that. And I'm like, that is, that is, first of all, it speaks to my soul, the way you speak about it. Wonderful. I don't, you know, I'm one of those entrepreneurs who also thinks that I'm the worst with money, um, you know, and, and we all do. Like, right. And, and so it's, it's so interesting that I, I don't hear that a lot. I hear that from spiritual teachers. Oh, I gotcha. hear it from, you know, manifestation teachers is like, mm, you, you gotta think about your money mindset, but not CFOs. And it's so funny that it's not funny in the way that it's kind of like amusing, but it's, it's, it's funny Different. that we don't really talk about it that way. Why do you think that is? I, that, that's actually very interesting that you said, I've, I've had quite an evolution from my twenties where I was very black and white rigid, you know, this is the way you do things and it's math and it's all, there's always a right answer. Um, through a career as a CFO where you start to learn there really are gray areas in finance. And so I guess that's where I really started to learn that numbers should tell a story. And once I started using numbers as storytelling, um, I decided to write a book. And when I wrote that book, I worked with a publisher who at the time I said, man, all your other clients are woo-woo clients. What's going on here? And sure enough, in working with her, I got in touch with a whole different side of myself primarily, and uh, ended up being a, a listener to Abraham Hicks. And that's where I kind of got my first exposure to manifestation and, and the power of our minds and worked with David Nagel for a while as well, where I learned so much about how much our belief system is embedded in us before we even ever have a chance to filter it and decide right or wrong. And then I saw in my own life how some of those things had limited 
my capabilities or my, not my potential, but, but uh, fulfilling my potential. So once I connected all those dots, then I started thinking about it with each and every client and it all just really evolved. So my spiritual journey, I mean, I've always been a, um, a woman of faith, Christian faith, but when I became an entrepreneur and started getting exposed to some more of this, I realized that that belief in the universal big one is free of religion. It's, it has nothing to do with your religion or your spirit or, or what you choose to practice. It, in my mind, it's all the same thing. And once I made those connections, like every, you can just imagine it was like a snowball rolling downhill. Um, it had to be an issue for everybody else. And mm. especially when you see really good things and good people not making it for the weirdest of reasons. And you can connect the dots for sure. That is so interesting. So how how do you how do you bring that side to your work with imagine mm -hmm. working with a CFO, very grounded, very numbers focused, very mm -hmm. kind of like, okay, give me the stats, give me the numbers, give me the plan. And then mm -hmm. you realize there's actually something deeper going on here. Maybe your beliefs are a little bit off. Do you actually address those? How do you address those? Yeah, that is a great question. And it depends on the leader, right? There are some entrepreneurs who are incredibly self-aware and want that conversation. They're like, what is holding me up here? You know, give me your observations. And there are others who are not as willing or ready to take that monster on. And, and I guess, I, I think one of the things I told you when we first met is I was raised um, overseas in Germany and then Argentina for a period of time. And uh, there's a great book about kids of uh, parents who are raised in countries that aren't their home country and what they're exposed to. And, you know, we got exposed, this was back before the internet, you know, do you move around a lot, you make friends, but then, you know, you really don't stay in touch with them after you move across the ocean because there's no internet, but then you will always make friends again and you will always not adapt or change your personality, but learn how to communicate with people. So I've been blessed to really be, have a gift of being able to meet somebody where they are and, if there's something I see, I usually don't see a thing until the person's ready to handle it. So that's cool. I know it's very frustrating sometimes for coaches because they can see the end, right? I get frustrated with the finances. Like I can see the end of this, getting the financials in order. And it's like, oh, geez, just let me do it. We'll get it fixed. But with this particular thing, thank goodness, I don't usually see it ahead of whenever whoever's telling me what to say has it come out of my mouth so it's pretty cool it sort of evolves and that is so interesting that, it, that you put it this way because the first time that we met I was like I, I had done some research on you because I wanted to have you on the podcast and I was like that person is the most empathic finance person that I've ever known oh. ever, ever seen because oh, I was thanks. watching you know first of all I, I went through your website the website copy alone gives that air of like wow that person is really different and also how you speak to your audiences is so very different and it was so funny uh -huh. to me that that I said to you like I think that you're an absolute empath from that I'm point. like huh yeah and you were like what <laughs> what are you talking about and that alone kind of the, what you just described there which is like and I see that thing about that person and how to help them mm -hmm. I mean 
that alone kind of tells me what an empath you Isn't are. Isn't that I funny? Just... I'm learning so much about empaths from you because like, I was like, oh, okay, that's what that is. Now, at least I have a word for it. Yeah, because we have that intuition and I, 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 you know, I don't think that the world is divided into empaths and non-empaths, obviously. Mm -hmm. We are all on the spectrum somewhere. And I just, I, I think that you are definitely there towards the ah. super intuitive because like really you are. And I think the way you speak to your, your audience and the way you speak to the people that you help as well um, are, is, is just, it, it's got that empath, you know, written all over it. Well, I'm glad that comes across because it is something that people are so gun shy about their finances. And for whatever reason, it's got such a stigma attached to it. And yeah. one of the things they say almost always when I'm on a stage is I have people take a second and just think of their most horrible finance experience that they think they've done or been in or caused or whatever, the most embarrassing thing about their finances. And then I have them and then I say, okay, now raise your hand if you thought of one. And then I have them look around the room and there's not a person in that room, whether it's a room of 10 people or a thousand people that doesn't have their hand up in the air. Um, and then I say, leave your hand up if you think yours is the most embarrassing in this room. And at least half to three quarters of the hands stay up in the air. So it's just, it, it is one of those things that we all have been through and we all don't really want to talk about. And it's because of those darn seven-year-old beliefs that we got about money it's just been such a topic for us and it yet it's one of those things that really holds people back unfortunately because we need it in this world you know and it's there but we need it yeah so what what do you think why why are finances so scary for us well, one of the things I do think is because we were taught from a very young age, all sorts of things about them that make them taboo. Um, and if we want something that conflicts with those values, we're automatically embarrassed by it. So for example, a lot of us grew up with, hey, money doesn't grow on trees or rich people are power hungry, bad people, or you know, you, every time you, you know, you should only give, you know, don't receive. And it infects our pricing and it infects our ability to have a sales call and it infects how much we pay our employees. And I really think that because all those things make us do things that are probably detrimental to our financial wealth, we think we don't realize we're doing it for all those reasons. All we do is we see the actions and go, well, in retrospect, that was stupid. So we judge ourselves so harshly without understanding why we did the things we did. I don't know if that, I'm trying to answer it. We have it's no kind compassion. Of a connection. We have yeah. no compassion because we don't know where it came from. Right. Because we don't, usually we don't know it, you know? I mean, it happened when we were seven. I, I don't remember a lot from when I was seven that I, consciously, but yet I found in my own situation just how powerfully my limits were driven by something that happened when I was seven years old. Mm. Um, you know, if, if you want, I can share it with you because it's just such a, an example, but we can see if we've got time for that. But it's, um, it really is that I just keep telling myself, you know, you're a seven-year-old. Would a seven-year-old be embarrassed by this? No, because they don't know any better. Mm. 
And we're never taught anything. That's the other thing. We're never taught anything about finances. So we come out into the world where everybody around us in the entrepreneurial world looks like they know their finances. They look confident as hell. I'm a seven-figure business. I'm an eight-figure business. I, Well, first of all, half of those people saying that are probably cash poor, number one. Just be cognizant of that. But the second is, you know, how are you going to come into a room of entrepreneurs with that sort of bravado and you have an embarrassing story? It just compounds it and pushes it down even further. So what kinds of things do you see? Um, I understand you work with a lot of creators and kind of online mm -hmm. educators and, and co coaches and everybody as well. So basically, there's a lot of people in my audience listening in who are aspiring towards that or are starting out or already awesome. on that path. So I'm just wondering, like, what do you see, perhaps from your experience, what is it that's keeping those entrepreneurs back the most? What kinds of beliefs? Yeah, it, it is um, often individual, but some things do carry kind of across everybody. Uh, not everybody, all the people who might have this sort of uh, money mindset block of some sort. So one of the things is it, it manifests itself in pricing, right? So I, and this comes out in any number of different ways. I, you know, my job is to give to the world. So I feel guilty charging for it. My customers are, are poor, so I don't want to charge them for it. Or it might be, um, geez, I only spent an hour on this. So how can I charge so much for it? Um, those are the two big ones that come out in pricing. And, you know, my counter for that is, you know, what you charge for your services has nothing to do with what you put in it. What you charge for your services should have everything to do with the value that it's going to bring. And the thing that people forget is what they see is just an hour of work. There's a joke about a, an electrician putting a light bulb in, but I can't remember exactly how it goes. But what they put into that one hour of work that they don't want to charge a lot for is actually, you know, 20, 30, 40 or 50 years of experience. And, and forming things in their head and putting it together. And it's a perspective and a gift that whoever they're selling it to doesn't have, right? So, and I, as the person who might want to buy your service, I could do it, but it would take me longer. I'd spend more. I'd make more errors. I'd set back my business and I'd probably land just off of the target that I was going for. Whereas I can hire you to do it, save all that money, save all that time, hit the target on the nose. Well, what's that worth to me? That's the real price break there. And as far as the charging people who can't afford my services, the point I like to make to entrepreneurs is if you can charge for your services, then you can have the wealth to make a difference to the people that you want to help in this way. The way to help them is not by giving them something for free. The way to help them is to make as much money as you can and then funnel that money into whatever you believe you can do to help them. Um, and it is an absolute proven fact, I believe probably 100% of the time, but I'll say 99, that if people don't pay for something, they're not going to get what they need to get out of it. But they're just not. And it's very easy to take free courses and we all should put as much value out there as we can, frankly, because there's there are things people can pick up and use that will help them. But when it comes time to truly transform, if they haven't put the skin in the game, they're not going to get the transformation. So you're wasting their time. You're wasting your time. And um, 
you know, not enough is always about priorities. And I, I know that sounds harsh and that's a whole nother podcast for a whole nother day. Um, but it really is. And it's, it's how you're investing that particular energy, the energy that's money. Hey, so before we continue with our chat, I wanted to tell you about a free masterclass I've created. It's for you if you are a purposeful entrepreneur and you're struggling with your brand messaging. Did you know that studies have shown that 92% of customers want brands to sell them in a way that feels like storytelling? Did you also know that companies with a compelling brand story have a 20% increase in customer loyalty? Yeah, these are real numbers. So if you love to help your clients, whatever it is that you do in your business, and you could just do your thing in your sleep with both of your hands tied behind your back, you probably wish your brand messaging could reflect just how passionate you are about what you do and how you can help your customers. If your brand story could use a little sprucing up or you have no idea how to talk about what you do in a way that really draws in your ideal customer, then join my free masterclass on brand storytelling. In it, I take you through exactly how to craft your most compelling brand story and messaging. I'll teach you my step-by-step blueprint on making your brand story clear, concise, and most importantly, sound like you. So grab your seat now at heroesandguides.com forward slash storytelling. All right, now back to the episode. Everybody who was just listening in, like, seriously, you should go and listen to what Pam just said on repeat, because I think you were driving those points home so beautifully um, in terms of the 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 belief system and and exactly that which is a lot of the people and whether you're an entrepreneur or you're just simply doing what you want to do in life and you kind of have this feeling of "Mm, I don't want to charge for that Mm -hmm. consider the things that Pam just said which is you know firstly how much experience is going into what you're doing every single day how much time have you spent on figuring out exactly how to do your job in a way that you're doing it right and also the fact that you're fueling that money into your further growth and into the growth of your brand so that you can expand your reach Mm -hmm. if you think about it from that perspective and i think I think every single one of my listeners for sure is here listening and trying to figure out if you haven't already, you know, what is it that I want to do? Like, what is it that that truly puts me on the map? What is it that, you know, how can I bring to the world what I'm meant to be doing here? I want to help. I want to serve. I want to make sure that I am making a mark in some way or another, right? Especially with empaths. You know, or, or people who are on that side of the empathic scale in this world today, because it's become so impersonal for so many reasons. You know, politics, AI, COVID, all these things have happened when you are an empath who can get into the world and actually touch people in a way. It, there's almost an obligation to do it. And in my mind, as a CFO, you're welcome to charge for it. And the reason you charge for it is what I tell everybody, you know, you building up wealth means that you have something now if you close yourself off to that then you've got very little to give the rest of the world if you say okay i need all the wealth in the world i can possibly funnel in here because once i have that i can create an ecosystem that represents my values and what i want to do in the world 
whether that's having a household staff or running a charity or taking your kids on cool vacations. I don't care what it is. Nothing's right or wrong about it, but it's what you want to do and the difference you want to make in the world. So if you close yourself off to money, which is just a reality, you're closing yourself off to your ability to make that difference. And mm. so anybody who thinks they don't deserve to be paid, um, I hope you hear that because you do because of the difference you can make. Yeah, a hundred percent. So if you were to sit down with an entrepreneur who is just starting out right now, what mm -hmm. would be some of the things that you would tell them to get their finances on solid ground mm -hmm. from the ground up, you know, structurally and also belief wise? That's great. I love the way you phrase that question because it is both things, right? So the first is, you know, from a technical, practical standpoint, separate your business and your personal finances. So that doesn't mean you have to go set up a company right now with whatever government you're in, but have two separate checking accounts, one for you personally and one for your business. And the reason I say that, a couple of reasons. One is that um, the biggest one in my mind is that in the beginning, you personally are going to be funding or fueling that business along with maybe you get loans or investors, but you're also going to be putting your money and your time and all three of your energies, money, time, and passion into that business. So from the money part, we want to keep track of how much you put into that business because at some point we want it to be paying you back, right? So once those are separated, you can very clearly see the point at which, which I hope is early on because it's important, your business starts to pay you back and it keeps you cognizant of that. Now, don't worry about the fact that we all run into, which is, oh my gosh, I don't have enough money in the business to pay the pills. I need to move some over from my personal. All that's fine. That can be tracked, but have the separate account. So that's kind of the first thing. Second technical thing is today, it's very cheap and easy to go out and get a, a bookkeeping system off the internet, be it zero or uh uh, QuickBooks or fresh books. There's like a bunch of them out there that are very not inexpensive. And the couple reasons for that is one, it sets your mind that you're intending to succeed and need to have structured books. Two, it gets you ready for taxes. And if you don't do it, the first tax year is just a nightmare. And just trust me, because I've talked to so many entrepreneurs that have gone through it. It also gives you a means to collect all your receipts without having to have the paper. And if there's ever an audit, it's all there. Um, that's the sort of very tactical reasons. But the real reason, the secret reason I like it is because it's generating information you need to know about your business so that you can figure out what levers to move to get more and more profitability and better cash flow in your business from the beginning all the way until you grow to whatever size you want to be. From a mindset standpoint, I will always suggest that you visit up till this point in life, what has been your money like barrier? What's that point at which you know, I'm always going to make that much money, right? I have kids and I'm always going to put food on the table. If I have to work six jobs, um, you know, never see my kids, whatever, whatever that thing is that, you know, you're never going to make less than that. Everybody's got it. It's different for everybody, but you've got it. I see very clearly look at that number. And I will bet you, if you look back over time, you usually make that much every now and then you spike over it. But I will bet that every time you spike over it, something unexpected happens that eats it right back up. And if you just observe that, 
and identify what that level is and observe it. And it's not necessarily a physical dollar amount because we know inflation goes up and down. But, you know, what are the things you have to have to live, in your opinion? Then I want you to think about the next four or five things you would do if you could afford it. So, for example, think about or write down for a month. What are those things where you go, oh, God, I get that if I could afford it? Or, geez, I really want that, but it costs too much. Or someday when I have money, I'm going to do this. And just keep a running list of them. And at the end of the month, pick one of them and push your mind to think of that now as something you have to have, just like you have to have food on the table. Like change the way you think about that thing so that it's not now an extra. It's a must have because for somebody it is a must have, right? The only reason it's not a must have for you is because you haven't made it a must have. You know, John down the street's made it a must have. So that's a way to really get people for the very first time to recognize the power of their minds. Plus the 30, there are a couple of 31 day challenges I have. I'm not sure which one you did, but those are also kind of eye openers for people. So I, I suggest they do that as well. That is so true. I have heard that's like a similar exercise from a perspective of imagine if the taxes were to be raised you know, tomorrow yes. would you be able to do? And and of course you would, because that's kind of like, oh, I got to, because otherwise I'm going to be in trouble. To. Right? I have to, right. Mm. But it's very interesting that we kind of never think that we would be in trouble from ourselves. It Bingo. is that promise that we're making to ourselves, right? And that's that, because if you're thinking about, you know, if you look back at your um, earnings over time as well, mm -hmm. I bet that generally speaking, they have been uh, increasing over time, right? And so- mm -hmm. Because you move jobs, you generally get a raise, you, you know, learn something new, mm -hmm. you're promoted. And so it's kind of, and that becomes that new comfort zone. Right. And that's exactly right. Comfort zone's the right word for it. You're comfortable in this, you know what it means. Nobody's going to think you're too rich. Nobody's going to think you're too poor. That seven-year-old's not going to judge you. Um, and that seven-year-old is going to make absolutely sure you don't exceed what you've set as your limit. So the only way to shake yourself of this is to change that limit and convince the seven-year-old you've changed that limit. Mm. Um, and that, you know, there are plenty of mindset instructors out there. But the other thing I would say, because I think most of your listeners are identified empaths working to help people, is what would you want your client to do in this situation? And you know the right answer to that. You know, the right answer to that is be gentle with yourself and make the shift. So there's no reason you can't apply that same logic to you when it comes to taking away some of those things that tell you money's bad. That is so interesting. What have you seen in your experience have been some of the um, fears around kind of like earning too much? Because I feel yeah. like that's one of those things as well. It's like, oh, if I earn too much, I'm going to put myself on the radar of what? what's going to yeah. happen if I earn too much. In fact, I have uh, I had a couple clients who have come into wealth um, very quickly because of their businesses. And the ones that jump out at me the most are the two, the two cases that jump out at me the most are the one who was absolutely convinced that tomorrow, massive imposter syndrome, you know, tomorrow everything's going to go south and I'm going to have to shut my business down. And this is somebody who already survived COVID with their business who's a very solid business model. It's not reliant on, you know, Facebook or any of these algorithms that change. It's a really good, solid business. 
delivers a massive value, um, big client base, huge pipeline. And she is convinced that, you know, at some point in time, she will be back where she was before. And it's um, now she's working through it. Don't get me wrong, but but that's real. The other one is always sure he's losing track of where it all is. And this is somebody who's a very um, big charitable giver and gives an awful lot. Like, I'm not even going to say the percentage because it's more than most of us would expect. And he's got eight figures in net wealth. But he's always like worried that it's in the wrong place or that we're that somebody's losing track of it. And so it was very important for him to be able to have a picture of all of it so that as he made his commitments to these charitable organizations, he could be 100 percent sure that it was going there, but that also he wasn't you know, detracting from his retirement or his wife's retirement, if anything happened to him. And he was in poorer health. So it was even more critical to him, like he was always worried that all this stuff he'd accumulated was going to disappear. And and his work was to trust that it's not going to disappear. Now it becomes the asset that's making the money instead of him having to be the asset that's making the money. So that's another. Uh, and again, he came from nothing. And mm. so as a result, um First of all, he gives a lot of it back. But second of all, it's like, mm, I, I can't keep track of it. Somebody's got to be cheating me or I'm mm. losing it somewhere kind of thing. Yeah. So that's definitely like, you know, if we're taking it to the subconscious level, this is like some stuff that was going on, like basically on a on a very like basic level, somebody took your toy and, yeah. and you know, or, or else like that's the first example as well of like the other shoe dropping. I'm not worthy of that um, that situation that I'm finding myself in right now. So it must be that I'm going to be, you know, right. um, this is this is gonna this is gonna disappear uh, really quickly. Yes, that's exactly right. Because I I deserve what I had before, not what I have now. So I'm going to be going back there like a rubber band kind of thing. So nervous systems basically just don't like this is a lot of nervous system work there. I feel that's a great way to put it. I never thought about it that way, but yes, that's absolutely right. It, it, you can feel it yeah you can feel it and and you have to put your nervous system in a place where it can actually withstand this new situation because otherwise you're going to start self-sabotaging oh oh my god that's why i went the minute you peak above what you need it disappears there's a tax bill or kid needs braces or whatever it is it always happens if you're if you haven't gotten through this particular issue how have you gotten through this? Or is it just because that you have always known something? Well, I'll tell you, it's um, it's why I believe in this work so much. Um, I had a very, very, very good coach. And we got down to the fact that I had been a little thief as a kid from like six years old to nine years old. And I always knew that I'd done that. And I did it until I got accused of something I didn't steal. And then I straightened up and flew right. But I'd always carried that with me. As like it, it, it. Uh, anytime somebody didn't trust me or uh, somebody doubted my integrity, I knew I had this massively huge reaction. I didn't connect it to that at the time. And when I was 50, 53 or 54, I was working with a coach and we brought this up. And I went back, a geek that I am, and calculated all of the, if calculated how much I would have stolen in that time period. And if I'd invested it in the, um, 
I think I think I picked the Dow Jones Industrial Average. What would it be worth today? Well, that was back in the 70s, early 70s. And when I calculated that up to what it would be worth today if I'd invested it for those people, it came up to exactly within, you know, a thousand bucks, the salary at which I had capped out in corporate. And I went, wow, that's weird. I wonder if that's a thing. Well, this coach said, guess what? You're going to go on Facebook and tell your story. And I was so resistant. I'm like, I'm a CFO. I do finance work for people. I can't tell them I was a thief. She's like, Pam, you are six to nine years old. You're going to go make this confession and loosen this thing up. You're going to free it. And so I wrote the post, shut down Facebook, didn't look. I was sure I was going to get fired by all my clients. You, know, you name it. It was the end. Came back on and the so what was so loud that I was like, holy cow, like it was like, oh, yeah, I did that when I was a kid, too. Or, geez, lots of kids do that kind of thing. Um, you know, whatever. It was it was a big whole hum. The, the whole thing is still on my Facebook feed somewhere uh, when that happened. And and the it was literally two months later, I broke through that ceiling as an entrepreneur and everything's been changed ever since. Now, I'm sure there are other things that I have not yet discovered, but that was just so evident to me. It's like, wow. So in my head, my seven-year-old had actually calculated how much I had stolen and what it was worth today and that I didn't deserve anything more than that because these people wouldn't have that kind of thing. It's like just crazy. You got to go back and see what is your first, very first run in with money. What not run in? It could be a good story, but what do you remember? What's the very first thing you remember about money? Did you find a quarter on the street and leave it there? Did your mom say, "Oh, geez, we don't have enough money to have you know uh, hamburger this week. We have to have you know pasta or something." Like, what do you remember about money? Either your experience or your awareness of other people's. And there will be something in that story um, that has to do with how you think about money today. Yeah, but somebody, maybe you picked up a quarter and you bought candy and somebody said, well, you just wasted that, you know, or just some casual offhand stupid comment has changed your life or, or limited your life. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So wrapping up, mm -hmm. what would you like to leave people with? Maybe something that I haven't asked you about. I think as you're, as you're, I, I touched on it a little bit, but as you're dealing with yourself, think about what you would wish for your clients as empaths. What do you wish for your clients? And those things that they deserve, you deserve. And I think often we, I know I do this and plenty of other people are like, I deserve to be giving this to them, but I don't deserve to be getting anything for it. And it's an energy exchange, right? So always think of this money thing as an energy exchange and the value, the energy value you're putting out there. And the only thing you're getting back is energy and money that reflects that value. So be aware of the value you're adding and what you're doing. It's so important that people feel seen and nobody can do that like, an empath is make somebody feel seen and heard. So keep up the awesome work would be my thing one. And thing two is give yourself a little bit of a break, you know, start applying the same grace to yourself that you do to your clients. Mm, for sure. I think that's, 
that's a golden point to drive home and also to kind of um, wrap everything up here. Awesome. Where can people go and find you? So I am Pam S as in Sam, Pam S Pryor everywhere on social, um, everywhere, except in TikTok, I'm Pam Pryor. And then the, and it's P-R-I-O-R. And then my website is pampryor.com. And anything you'd want to know, I but on socials, I'm everywhere, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn. So feel free to check things out there and ping me if anything's intriguing and you have questions about it. Absolutely. I think everybody is going to go and awesome. check Pam out. And I also implore everybody to go and check Pam out um, on her website, especially the part that she talks about being the hallway Pam. We didn't get to talk about oh, that today. Oh, there you go. But I think that's such a good um, thing to kind of go and, and have a look at how we can actually talk about finances in a, in a way that is not shameful, that is um, just really connected and an open and um, fun, like Pampuses as well. Yeah, exactly. Finance is fun. I'm going to have people saying that. That's my that's my mission, is that entrepreneurs will line up and go, yeah, you know, finance really is fun. By the time we're all done changing the world here, <laughs> <laughs> right? Let's change the world and also be absolutely magnificently abundant and wealthy and. Yes. Put that money towards building more kindness in the world. I think that's um, definitely beautiful. Definitely something that we need more of. So thank you so much, Pam. You bet. Thank you for having me. This has been awesome. <laughs>